0: Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Schutz for for ReadyForTheDraft.com. And this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 30 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 23rd, no longer in Vegas due to the COVID-19 pandemic. However, we are moving forward and it looks like, according to ESPN, GMs and front offices really getting prepared for more of a virtual draft from home. So the war room really is going to look a lot different. I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of Zoom conversations going on, uh, a lot of meetings happening that way. And really, we're in unprecedented times. You're looking at the league now, front offices, uh, not able to bring guys in and have private workouts. Can't really uh, have them there on site and really put them in front of a, a whiteboard. Obviously, they can still do that over Skype or over Zoom, over things like that, be able to FaceTime them and have some of those conversations and interactions. But you don't really get to sit down and actually have a face-to-face and actually have them there at your facility. Uh, And for the players, a lot of the guys that were expecting to show what they can do at their pro days really weren't able to do that because obviously with the outbreak and the pandemic they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to have their uh, their pro days. There are a few teams that before we we really uh, went under the shelter in place and such, they were actually able to have a pro day. But for the most part, a lot of guys that you know for whatever reason, whether it was injury or by choice, they decided they weren't going to work out. They really didn't get a chance to showcase what they can do for all the teams. I know that there are some guys that are trying to do so uh, individually. Uh, And sending out video of their performances. And, uh, you know, I I think that's really the best that we can do right now. Um, You know, and with this podcast, just like we've done in the last few podcasts, I want to first start by saying that uh, I want to continue to do my podcasts. Uh, I know that we, like I said, we are in unprecedented times. And right now, I think everybody needs this release, they need to have. Something else that they can focus on and talk about um, and, and frankly you know I, I said this in the last episode it's a release for me. I can go uh, and for an hour or so really just immerse myself in the draft and not have to worry about anything else you know be able to just talk about the draft talk about the NFL what does the 2020 uh, NFL football season look like and, and be able to take my mind off of things and uh, I hope that uh, this podcast will continue to do that for, for you as well. Um, now, what I've been doing with these last few podcasts is really taking you on a tour of all 32 teams by division to see really what f- the free agency, free agent market, has done to each of the teams in terms of their, their depth chart, what, is, what does that look like, and, and really how does that impact the NFL draft and what i'm doing is is really going through you know I, I started off really just focusing on the first four rounds but i have a full seven round mock draft put together and uh, i'm going to have that out here on the website uh, by tomorrow at the very latest um full seven round mock and for that we'll go ahead and with today's podcast We'll focus on the AFC South, and we'll go ahead and cover all seven rounds. Ironically enough, when we look at this, only two of the four AFC South teams do not have a first-round pick. But uh, you know, when you look at Indianapolis and Houston, the two teams that don't, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, you know draft day drama, if you will. I think these are two teams that could potentially trade into round number one. You know, there's Indianapolis who has they have Philip Rivers there at the helm at the quarterback position, but are they going to really look at him after the first couple of years? They're going to need a guy that's going to come in and really be the face of the franchise. And Jacoby Brissett, given the keys to the to to the the program, and really just hasn't been able to set himself apart and really show that he can be a franchise quarterback. So Jordan Love, just Justin Herbert, whoever's not taken, I could absolutely see Chris Ballard drafting, you know, trading back into round number one. He already has his three technique. He was already set, you know, quoted as saying at the at the combine that you know what, the three technique is really what drives things, and you know he got his three technique, and he has two picks in round number two now, so he could potentially package those picks trade back into round number one and get the quarterback that isn't taken in the top 10. Um, you know, I don't see all, I don't see four quarterbacks being taken in, in the top 10. I think there will be three and that fourth quarterback, whoever falls, whether it is Justin Herbert or, or Jordan love. I think Chris Ballard will get his quarterback of the future. And then Houston, Houston trades Deandre Hopkins to to Arizona. I think that was a, a trade that shocked everyone. What was going on? You know, Bill O'Brien, ESPN reported that Bill O'Brien said that DeAndre Hopkins was looking for a raise, a significant raise, and that was a big reason why he was traded. So you know Houston's going to be looking for their uh, their number one wideout. Who's that going to be, and will Houston trade in back, you know, trade into round number one? It's entirely possible. So... We'll take a look at that. We'll take a look at who they who might still be available in round number two uh, based on my mock draft. Um, but we're going to go ahead and kick things off with Jacksonville. Uh, and we'll move from Jacksonville to Tennessee and then Indianapolis. And then we'll close out with Houston uh, really going through um, how the, the picks would be in, in order. And really Indianapolis has a second round pick before Houston. So that's why we'll go ahead and do uh, Indianapolis third, and then we'll close out with with the Houston Texans. So Jacksonville, the Jaguars. Let's take a look at what's going on with with them. Um, you know, I, I think this is going to be a pick that really is going to be interesting, uh, to say the least. Um, you know, I, I thought that you know, 2019 really saw the birth of Minshew Mania uh, in Jacksonville, Gardner Minshew taking over for the injured Nick Foles. Breakout campaign a quarterback, but the Jags finish at the bottom of the AFC South, find themselves drafting in the top 10 yet again. Uh, Jags finished in the bottom third of the league on defense, and their 28th-ranked run defense was especially disappointing. Uh, Now Marcel Darius, cap casualty, he's no longer there. That really leaves Taven Bryan and Avery Jones as the only defensive tackles, really, that had significant playing time from a season ago. Now, if you look at the Jaguars and you look at them up front, they really haven't done anything in free agency outside of bringing in uh, Rodney Gunter, uh, free agent acquisition uh, from Arizona, but that's not really going to move the needle when you are talking about a, a run defense that ranked 28th in the league. I, I think Derek Brown is a guy that the Jaguars ha- they have to covet. They have to look at, at Derek Brown and say this is a guy who is really explosive, uh, the power, the, the the quickness off the football. This is a guy that has some. Uh, some freakish in uh, measurables and, and just freakish ability out on the football field. But even with him off the board, I think they still go defensive tackle because when you have an athletic specimen like Javon Kinlaw, big 6'5", 324-pounder out of South Carolina, this dude can push the pocket from within as an interior pass rusher and can also be stout at the point of attack against the run. He's going to be on the board, and I think he can be a top 10 pick. Now Kinlaw, you know, he he went to Columbia, South Carolina, as a JUCO All-American, became an instant contributor as a sophomore in 2017. After shedding 40 pounds, uh, named Defensive MVP in 2018, racked up nine tackles for loss, four sacks, uh, and then finished the year with uh, with six sacks, named First Team All-American in, in 2019. Um, but those those stats don't tell the entire story. Uh, you know, Javon Kinlaw at times was was incredibly dominant at the point of attack. You know, th- this guy, first off, powerfully built and an intimidating presence who you want coming off the bus first. Um, you know, a, a tone setter there on the field, a very quick first step, uses that to get penetration off the snap, muscles through gaps, powering through double teams to, to collapse the pocket from within, a very powerful punch at the line to, to jolt his blocker uses the club and rip move to beat his man. Uh, who's now gotten off balance because of that. Um, and, and if you watch the senior bowl, this guy was virtually unblockable, uh, power and speed combo to win at the point of attack. And when you look at, at John Simpson, uh, Clemson guard, uh, who's one of the better and more physical guards in all of college football and will be, uh, a, a day two pick when it's all said and done. Um, he was repeatedly beating even him, uh, driving him back with a, with a tremendous bull rush or, or using his quickness to beat him off the ball. And it was one of those things, you know, his senior bowl was just ridiculous. I would have loved to see him play in the game, uh, but he shut things down uh, before we could actually see that happen. Um, his strength allows him to bench press that interior lineman, get off that block, and disrupt the run plays. What makes him so difficult to to handle is his motor never stops. He's always working to the football, doesn't take a play off. Um, you know, and and he's somebody who. Uh, I I look at Javon Kinlaw, I think he's a special player um, and a guy who can just wreak havoc in in opposing backfield. 17 tackles for loss, really uh, made an impact there in 2018 and 2019. So 15 of those 17 tackles for loss coming in in those two seasons and 10 sacks as well. Eight pass breakups, uh, three forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries as well. So this guy knows what to do when he gets there and, and is after the football um, you know, as, as dominant as he can be, any of his momentum can be neutralized when his pad level gets too high. You know, that's one of the things that we talked about with Derek Brown. Derek Brown would, would, would stand up at times off the ball. And when that happens, as an offensive lineman, I've got much more surface area to work with than if you're firing low off the ball. And when Kinloff fires low off the ball, good luck trying to handle the, the, the speed and the power. Um, you know, I think Kinlaw does need to work on some of his technique, keep that pad level, um, consistent, keeping it down, but he actually had, you know, he absolutely has that athletic skill set to wreak havoc as a, as an interior lineman. Um, he's, he's one of my favorite players to watch. I thought he was a guy who just continued as the season progressed, just got better and better, um, you know, almost 35 inch arms. So he's got really long arms as well. Um, so when you're talking about bench pressing, he doesn't really even have to worry about necessarily getting you know a, 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 an interior lineman getting into his body because he, he's so quick with his hands, he's able to extend and then get a quick either club or a rip and, or even an arm over and he's by the interior lineman shooting into the backfield. So tremendously explosive player and a guy who is fun to watch and I think you put him in there for Jacksonville. Javon Kinlaw is starting week one. So you take a look at, at Jacksonville. They have two first-round picks. Um, and so what are they going to do at number 20? And, and I think that's a, a big question mark. Jacksonville gets this pick from the Rams in the Jalen Ramsey trade. Um, I think they have to uh, continue to address some of the pieces lost in the offseason. Uh, I mentioned you know, Marcel Darius, you know, they're they're replacing him at number nine. Um, I think they still stay defense, you know, Trey Herndon solid year at corner. Uh, they added Rashawn Melvin to replace AJ Boye, but, uh, who was traded to Denver, by the way. Um, but they never really truly replaced Jalen Ramsey. So there's a, a, a chance uh, that a corner possibly Trevin, uh, Trevon Diggs, could, could go there. I think Trevon Diggs is going to be off the board. I think he's going number 17 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. um, so if he's off the board, then that really I, I think this is too early for uh, Christian Fulton at this point. So I, I think the Jags will probably look at day two get uh, to bring in a corner. Um, so they did use a, a um, you know they the emergence of, of Josh Allen allowed them to let go of Calais Campbell. Uh, But the long term future of Yannick Ngakwe is still in question. And I think that's really the area that you have to focus on. The Jaguars did use the franchise tag on Ngakwe, but I don't know, you know, I, I just don't see him signing a long term deal to remain in Jacksonville beyond 2020. Um, and there's still a possibility that he could get traded at some point this offseason. You know, that's one of the names that that you see thrown around online as a possibility of still being traded. Um, so I, I look at it either way. I, I think it would behoove Jacksonville to prepare for life after Ngakwe. And I'm looking at A.J. Epinesa. You know, it sounds a little, little weird because in, in the last couple of podcasts, I've talked about how Look, it's it's too too early for for Epinesa. A lot of people are talking about him as a potential third round pick because he ran a five oh four forty, and that really speaks to his uh, lack of explosiveness as an athlete. Um, but look, this guy can play. You know, when you're talking about a guy, what you see there is is he's technically sound. He plays with excellent power. Um, you know, and he's just an intelligent football player, high football IQ. Uh, came to Iowa City. Uh, As a five-star recruit there, highly decorated high school career, made an impact as a rotational player, as a true freshman, uh, with five and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. 2018, backed up Anthony Nelson and Parker Hesse, but still managed to lead the Big Ten in sacks with ten and a half. Think about that. This guy was a rotational player and was still leading leading the, the conference in sacks. As a junior, got off to a real slow start, just three and a half sacks through the first eight games, but he poured it on when it counted. In Big Ten play, uh, finished the season with eight sacks in his final five games. Um, you know, and and again, it doesn't take long to to you know in studying him to see that he's not the explosive edge rusher. Burst is just average stiffness in his hips when he tries to turn the corner. Um, so, but if you're looking for a lightning quick edge rusher to bring speed to your defense, Epines is not going to be your guy. But I, I look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen is your your speed rusher. I think this is going to be a guy who's going to be more of that power and the bull rush coming off the edge. You know, I, I mentioned the the technique, the power, and his hands, um, along with a motor that never quits, which all allow him to create a soft edge and make plays getting to the quarterback. You know, he's a guy who who fires off the line looking to to strike with heavy hand, very heavy handed. Uh, by the way, uh, fires off the ball, stuns the lineman, keeps working with his hands as he looks to try to beat the the tackle to the corner. Uh, The hand work, you'll see a variety of of moves, whether it's a club rip or a slap rip, a chop, an arm over. Uh, He's always looking to attack the offensive tackle's hands, and then that allows him to gain the advantage turning the corner. Intelligent pass rusher, showing an outside rush, getting the uh, offensive tackle to overset, then crossing the face of the offensive lineman to shoot the gap and get an inside rush to the quarterback. On his bull rushes, excellent hand placement. Extending his his arms underneath the tackle's armpit to then jack his man back and collapse the pocket from the edge. Um, Really effective long arm. Uh, to drive the offensive tackle into the backfield, using his hands to quickly disengage and and pursue the ball carrier after just long arming him, getting his hand right into the pad level there, just driving his man back. Um, Let's see. Um, Maybe his most effective pass rush move is is the push-pull and there are some guys who can really uh, be effect- use that effectively, and there are some guys that, that try it, and it just doesn't work. But his is very effective, you know, that power, as I, as I said. You know, it gets that lineman off balance, and then he's able to shoot, explode by, shoot the gap, and get penetration into the backfield. You'll see him line in, uh, inside a defensive tackle on passing downs, and those push move, push-pull moves are extremely effective when engaging the guard off the snap as well. Uh, Now, if you watch that Holiday Bowl against USC, and I mentioned this when I was talking about uh, Austin Jackson a couple of uh, podcasts ago, Uh, has squared off against Austin Jackson, who, who I have coming off the board number 33 overall, Uh, When Epinesa was able to use his power in his hands, he was very effective in creating that soft edge to beat Jackson, delivered several hits on on the freshman, uh, fabulous freshman uh, Keaton Slovis there at USC, uh, chopped down on his arm as he tried to throw on one play, forcing a key turnover in the game, ended up uh, hurting Slovis' shoulder, just ended up being a strain, but uh, really knocked him out of the game uh, at that point. If Jackson, though, was able to use his quickness, He was able to mirror Epinesa and usually push him away from the pocket. And that was the thing that you, you know, Epinesa is going to struggle with the more athletic tackles at the next level. You know, I think he's going to continue to learn, you know, how he can be effective even against those more more athletic tackles by using his hands and using that technique, using the power. And that's really going to be his game. Um, and look, Epinesa is not a top 10 pick by any means. You know, that was the originally what the hype was, was that Epinesa was going to get a top 10 pick. But I think he he's, he's technically sound. He's a guy who I think could still start and have a productive career at the next level. And, and look, Jacksonville, you know, they had Calais Campbell, who wasn't necessarily the most explosive defensive end, but very powerful, uh, excellent handwork, very intelligent player, very technically sound. And I, I just see this as, as being a guy who can come in there and take the place of, Calais Campbell now look I know Calais Campbell is a guy who it was a multi-pro bowl player and you know he's one of my favorite guys in the league for everything that he does both on and off the field um so you can't really replace him but I, I think when you're talking about you know putting a guy in who mirrors the type of game that Calais Campbell has I think AJ Epinesa can absolutely do that and why not at number 20. Who else you know? Who else is on there at this point that you're going to go ahead and take? You know, I, I think if you get Epinesse in there, um, you know that really solidifies the defensive front. You know, when you're talking about a defense that you know ranked you know 28th in the league against the run in the bottom third overall, uh, you have to uh, address that defense. You know, really. From within, first, and then focus on some of the other areas. So, I, I think if Jacksonville could do that, you know, you got a defensive tackle, defensive end, then absolutely in round number two, you can go ahead and focus on some other things. I'm looking at a cornerback position, you know, because frankly, you know, yes, they brought in Rashawn Melvin, you know, they have DJ Hayden on the roster, they have uh, Trey Herndon, but they need a, a guy who, you know, they're trying to replace. uh, Jalen Ramsey and really when you're talking about a guy who was a top 10 pick it's very difficult to replace that type of talent but I think what you do need to do is continue to find guys who are athletic there on the outside um, who can make plays and I'm looking at Noah Igbenogany out of Auburn you know and the reason for this is you know he he's very athletic you know i i think you know that adds to some of that athleticism that they're trying to to look for to upgrade up front and um, you know I, I i'm sorry on the outside and i think igbinogony you know he's 5'10 198 pounds, the the junior Um, 18 uh, pass breakups in his career, only one interception. So there is a little cause for concern there in terms of, okay, he can make plays on the football, but is he truly going to be a guy who can finish? Can he actually pick the ball off? And that's going to be, that's a legitimate concern there. And I think that's why some people talk about him as a first round pick. I think that's why he won't be a first round pick is because of that. Um, I think, you know, you do see the instincts, you see his ability to break quickly on the football and then his athleticism there in the kicking game. Um, you know, he, as a kick returner, um, has two kickoff, kickoff returns for touchdown, uh, in 2019, only nine kickoff returns, but he, you know, he had more, um, let's see, average 35.2 yards per kick, uh, kickoff return, um, which you know, was his best by far. Uh, in his three seasons there at Auburn, uh, you know, a guy who is is tremendously gifted athletically, and I, I think when you look at the group that they have, they already they don't have the athlete that that uh, Igbenoguany is. You know, you look at Melvin, at Hayden, at Herndon. I, I think they're they're solid corners. I think they're guys who can play at obviously can can play, but I don't think they're as gifted athletically as Noah Igbenoguany. Ickman ran a 4-4-8 at the Combine, a 37-inch vertical leap as well. Um, I think this makes a lot of sense, you know, especially sitting there in round number two. Um, and frankly, I think the Jags continue to focus on their defense, you know, focus on on really shoring up the defense a little bit. And uh, in round number three, I actually have the Jags taking a safety. Now, you're looking at this going, all right, well, you know, offensively, they, they weren't a juggernaut. Why aren't they addressing... Uh, the offense, and, and just wait, we're, we're going to get there. We'll, we'll get to the offensive side of the football as well. Um, but in round number three, I'm looking at Ashton Davis, a, a, a safety out of out of California, out of Cal, uh, Cal Berkeley, 6'1", 202. Um, Ashton Davis, you know, a track star there uh, for the Bears and, and a guy who I think could step in and really challenge, uh, you know, Jared Wilson, um for that free safety spot you know they have a- uh, Andrew Wingard who I thought filled in nicely um there for a time when, when Wilson went down to injury but I don't know that he's going to be the long term answer there if if there's issues there with with Wilson um I I just I, I don't know that you know, Wilson had a decent year last year but I think they they can still do better. I think they can still have an upgrade there at the position. Uh, Wilson signed through the twenty twenty one season, but I think you know you get some good depth there at the position. And, and with Ashton Davis, what you're getting again is is an athlete on the back end. you know a guy who's relatively new to the game of football. So that, that's one of the things, I think that's why his draft stock would bring him down to to the third round. I think he's still a day two guy, but I think third round feels about right. Uh, he does have seven interceptions, including four in, in 2018, uh, 12 pass breakups, a guy who just flies around to the football, um, plays well over the top, um, really a guy that can play off the ball, um, you know, he started his career at Cal as a corner, transitioned to the safety position in 2018 and that's really where his home is. And uh, I look at at Jacksonville, you know they they address the defensive line um, in round number one with their two picks there. And then in the second and third round, they address this the secondary which then allows them to focus on the offense. And I know what you're going to say when you look at at Jacksonville and you say, all right, well, you have them addressing a lot of these other positions. What about the linebacking core? And I look at Miles Jack, I look at you know at, at Leon Jacobs. I think they're solid linebackers. They also drafted Quincy Williams, who they really like, and they brought in a middle linebacker by the name of Joe Showbert. If you haven't seen this guy play, you know, he, he's he's really a lot of fun to watch. You know, at, at Cleveland, finally a pro bowler, uh, a guy who just, you know, he's a volume tackler, but he's so much more than that. He can drop into coverage. Uh, his presence there allows Miles Jack to move back outside, which is really where he should be. He was playing out of position last year, playing in the middle at times. And I think that really um, played into some of the issues that Jacksonville had on defense. So I thought showbert, Bringing him in, that really changed the whole complexion of the focus for the draft. They can focus on the other areas of that defense, and then really after that, let's look at at the offense a little bit. So offensively, you're talking okay. You got Gardner Minshew there at quarterback. Uh, what are they going to do on on day three? And I think when you look at it, they need a, a tight end. You know, they have Tyler Eifert. Uh, who they they brought in from Cincinnati, um, so it tempers this a little bit, and there's still a chance that you know you may move off of the tight end position. Uh, they brought in Josh Oliver a year ago uh, from San Jose State, uh, James O'Shaughnessy on the roster, um, but I'm still looking to try to find another another pass catcher for Minshew. Uh, and I'm looking at a guy like Hunter Bryant out of Washington. Now, Hunter Bryant, this was a guy who was a favorite target of of Jacob Eason's and a guy who just made a lot of explosive play. So I was expecting him to light it up at the combine, but he ran a 4.7 4.40. And so that was, you know, cause for concern, he did put up 225 23 times, so there is some strength to this guy, um, his three cone drill ran a 708 uh, three cone drill, which uh, was second fastest only to uh, Adam Troutman, uh, the, the big uh, 6'5 tight end out of Dayton who I have going to the Patriots I think that's a match made in heaven um, but I look at you know Hunter Bryant, he's 6'2 248, and when you have a guy who's 6'2 some people had him as a a you know, mid day two pick, but when you're running a four seven four, look, Evan Engram was six two in the six two to six three range, and he ran in the four fours at the combine. Ultimately, was a first round pick. Uh, you know Hunter Bryant, not that type of not type of player. He's kind of a big bodied receiver, really. When you know that was how uh, Washington utilized him, and uh, you know. Th- that's where I I see him at least initially until he continues to work on his blocking. I think that's initially where you're going to see him, whether it's lined up in the slot, lined up on the outside, try to take advantage of some of the mismatches there on the outside. uh, And really, his breakout year was his his junior season in 2019. 52 catches, 825 yards, and three touchdowns on the year. Uh, a guy who averaged over 16 yards per reception in his career with the Huskies. And I, I look at it, I just think you need to continue to find weapons for Gardner Minshew. And so Hunter Bryant, um, There are teams that are going to be looking for tight ends, either at the you know, end of day two or... Early on day three, I think you got to get your tight end while you can. Uh, and some people will say, "Well, why not get a wide receiver right here?" I, I, I think you can really, you know, there's enough depth to where you can wait just a little bit to get a uh, to get your wide receiver. And, and so in round four, Jacksonville, you know, they they their first re, first pick there was at one sixteen. They get a second. Uh, Fourth round pick, and that's 137. They got that from San Francisco. And here's where they get the receiver KJ Hamler out of Penn State. Now, if you recall a couple of podcasts ago, I had KJ Hamler going to Cleveland. And I had him going in round number three. And I looked at that. The more I looked at it, the more I watched KJ Hamler play. You know, this is a guy, not a natural pass catcher, really. Uh, you know he's he's a guy who is explosive getting down the field, but the hands, you know, the drops. He doesn't look comfortable. Uh, very, you know, very much a body catcher at times. So the explosiveness absolutely there, but he he does he has such inconsistent hands that it really worries me. And, and so I moved him down as a result. I look at Devin Duvernay. And that's who I have going to Cleveland in round number three now. I've changed my draft up just a little bit, and that's what I was saying. You know, My draft is very fluid, and that's part of the fun of the draft is trying to project, and the more you sit there and you look at a player or you look at, at a, a team, especially if you have some of the different free agent acquisitions, um, that's going to change the whole complexion of your of your mock draft. So the more I studied KJ Hamler, the more I said he needs to to drop a little bit, and I think you know in round four that's probably going to be about the right value for him. Um, you know you've got DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook, Marquise Lee uh, there on the outside with Keelan Cole, Chris Conley. They need another receiver in this passing game, and, and I think KJ Hamler uh, has that explosiveness if KJ Hamler can. Um, you know, really show, showcase you know his hands and, and show that he can hold on to the football with consistency. You know, this is a guy with uh, you know this past season, Sean Clifford throwing him the football, fifty six catches. Uh, 904 yards and eight touchdowns on the year. Uh, a guy who averaged right around 17 yards per reception. You have him lined up in the slot um, with Westbrook and Lee. You know, Lee's going to be another slot guy, um, but you have Chark and Westbrook likely on the outside. Chris Conley as well. Um, this is a slot player and a guy who if, if Hamler can, um, can ball out, then you could potentially see Jacksonville saying goodbye to Marquise Lee. I think that's one of the guys that could potentially be uh, expendable. So, we will be interesting to see what happens there, but I think, like I said, this is the right value for uh, K.J. Hamler, in my opinion. So, you're looking at, at round number five, and I'm actually I'm going back to the defensive side of the football. I mentioned that the cornerback position. I want to see him get one more corner and I'm looking at Isang Bassi now. Isang Bassi out of uh, out of Wake Forest was one of my favorite corners to watch, um, and I think you know a big part of that was because of his um, just because of his aggressiveness, a guy who you know, was willing to come up and, and make plays. Um, and and uh, come up and tackle very physical tackler has 227 tackles in his career 12 and a half tackles for loss in his career as well so a guy who likes to make plays behind the line especially in run support uh, but the ball skills are absolutely evident you know five interceptions in his career but 45 pass breakups and when you're looking at that that's 16 in, in 2017. 15 in 2018 and 11 in 2019 also had three as a, as a, a true freshman in 2016. I mean, a guy who, you know, just very consistent with his ability to make plays on the football, you know, he, he'll, he'll gamble at times. He'll get beaten. Um, you know, he's five nine one ninety one. um, ran a four four six forty 640 at the combine 39 and a half inch vertical leap, exceptional athlete. And look, Bassey could potentially move into round number four. If he falls to round five, I think this is really good value for the, the Jaguars. And if you get Bassey in there to, to team with Igbenogany, um, then you're talking about, okay, Melvin, Hayden, Herndon, Igbenogany, and, and Bassie. You've, in my opinion, you, you've you upgraded your, your cornerback position um, this offseason um, tremendously. You know, and, and again, one player... Isn't going to replace Jalen Ramsey, but when you're able to bring in that that type of depth to the position, I think that's one of the things. That's a way that you can uh, account for losing a player of, of uh, uh, Ramsey's status, and and you know his um, his loss isn't going to impact them quite as much, I don't think. Um, so you look at the offensive line still in, in round number five, their second fifth round pick, and, and I'm looking at uh, Alex Taylor, the big 68 tackle out of uh, South Carolina State. Now why are they looking why are we looking tackle here? They did take Juwan Taylor a season ago. He's manning the right side. You look at Cam Robinson over on the left side. You know Cam Robinson's battled some injuries. Um really I, I think, you know, Robinson is better suited as a guard more than anything else. Um he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season um and so he'll be at the end of his rookie deal. Um, so there's a chance that after the season is over, cam Robinson, man moving elsewhere and even if he does stay again he could kick inside to guard um, you know and Taylor's 6'8", 308 ran a 50940 at the combine despite you know that 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 size you know he was able to get that that body moving pretty quickly um you know huge hands 11 and a quarter inch hands uh 36 and an eighth inch uh, wingspan as well. Um, and with those long arms still put up 225 21 times um, which is pretty impressive for that kind of length. Um, this is a guy who I, I think needs to hit an NFL weight room immediately. His legs if you look at him he's got you know for lack of a better term he's got chicken legs he's got very a very small lower body so he's really got to put some weight on you know on that lower body to be able to anchor against. Uh, you know, the, the powerful edge rushers uh, in the NFL. So I don't think he's necessarily a guy who's going to – you know he could probably fill in as a spot starter, but he won't be ready to step in right away. Um, and, and like I said, if I'm looking at Cam Robinson, if, if Alex Taylor – if he can really address that lower body strength, you know, because he does have some skills uh, athletically moving laterally um, – you know, I'm looking at Cam Robinson. You know, obviously Andrew Norwell um, signed the, the the biggest deal there for an offensive guard. You got Taylor at right tackle. Um, you could potentially talk about moving on from AJ Can at, at the right guard position. AJ Can, they've been talking about that for years. Is AJ Can going to be moving on? Um, He's signed through uh, 2021, um, so there's a good chance you could see if Cam Robinson is re-signed. You know, he may stay there left tackle for another year, allow Alex Taylor to really fully develop and then let AJ can walk, move uh, Cam Robinson to guard and let Alex Taylor man that tackle position as it is. There's no depth behind Robinson at left tackle. So immediately Alex Taylor would be the backup there at left tackle and and hopefully uh, Cam Robinson can stay healthy. So that's really what I look at for Jacksonville in round number five. Now moving on to round six and, uh, well, you know, I'm looking at another receiver, you know, again, trying to form find more weapons. And so I'm looking at this and looking at some of the, the dynamic here with a lot of these receivers, There's a lot of explosive guys and, uh, on the roster. And I was looking for a guy who, um, could be at that potential possession type receiver and i'm looking at uh, Benjamin Victor uh, out of Ohio State 64 198 uh, really long arms over 34 inch arms uh, ran a 4640 at the combine only put up 225 nine times um you know which is you know is a bit of a concern that 4640 you know not a burner but I, I at ohio state these receivers they run exceptional routes you know whether it's Terry McLaurin to to KJ Hill you know, these guys run tremendous routes and Benjamin Victor is, is no different. And, you know, I think he's one of those guys, you know, was kind of the forgotten man um, when you talk about um, Ohio state receivers and Victor, you know, in his career, uh, just 83 receptions, you know, had 35 this past season uh, for 13, 1340 yards, you know, 573 this past season, 18 touchdowns though, uh, six this past season. So average 16.1 yards per reception. So a guy, you know, he knows how to get open, can be that weapon. And, uh, you know, if you've got these receivers that are pushing it down the field with your DD Westbrooks, with your uh, DJ Charks, with your KJ Hamlers, um, uh, Marquise Lee likes to run a lot of the underneath routes, run a lot of drags and such. And I think this could be another possession receiver, a guy that is going to find ways to get open. And I think just looking for a different dynamic, I think you know that'd be the right value for Victor in the sixth round. I think some people have him going higher, but I think sixth round would be nice value at that point. Um, so staying in the sixth round, I think they finally go with, with a linebacker. Um because you know, frankly, I, I I think there are other needs that they really need to shore up, and, and I'm looking at uh, Daley Harding, out of Illinois, 6'1", 230 pounds, and Harding, look, um, really got one year to shine there in uh, Lovey Smith's defense there with the Illini, but man, did he produce? Um, you know, one hundred and forty nine tackles, second in the in the country. Uh, to Evan Weaver, uh 14 tackles for loss, also three interceptions uh on on the year. Uh two of those were brought back to the house as well. So a, a guy who not only can make plays on the football but you know was making some big plays there for the Illini who finally made it to a bowl game. Um you know, he was one of the big reasons why Illinois was so effective defensively in the Big 10. And uh I look at Harding no, Kiwi he, he wasn't invited to the Combine, but, you know, that's okay. You know, not everybody at the Combine is, you know, not everybody uh, who's not selected for the Combine Um there's still a chance for you to to get drafted usually what ends up happening if you're not not uh invited to the combine you're probably more than likely going to end up being a sixth or seventh round pick and I look at Harding he has some versatility he's a guy who who played in the middle there for for the Illini but I think he could probably move outside and be an outside backer um you know whether it's strong side weak side you know I think he can Potentially move Miles Jack over to the strong side if, if Harding were to be the weak side backer. Um, you know you've got Leon Jacobs on the roster, Quincy Williams as well. So I, I think there are some players that they already have there on the roster. But I think adding Harding, um, you know, I think he'd challenge Joe Giles Harris as Showbert's backup in the middle as well. Uh, could be a special teams performer really. Perform well, but I think he really adds some some really good depth. And uh, I actually had him at one point penciled in with the Patriots because that really feels like a, a Patriot type player with the way that that Harding just plays with his hair on fire. Uh, but he diagnoses very quickly, no wasted movement, trusts his eyes, and it's read and reacting. Let's go after the football. So I think Harding um, in the sixth round. I like that pick there, and then. Looking at round number seven, another guy who wasn't invited to the combine, but uh, if you look at the quarterback position and you're looking at Gardner Minshew, Josh Dobbs, and then nobody else. Um so I'm looking at Tyler Huntley. You know, I went a little bit differently here. Um, there's some other guys that were on the board um around this time. You know, you could potentially bring in um you know Steven Montez, um Jake Luton out of uh Oregon state, but I went with Huntley because, you know, there, there's some at the athleticism. You know, this was a guy, he's only six one two Oh five, um, but a career 67.2% completion percentage. And, and really, you know, for the Utes, he, he was awesome in, in 2019, um, completed over 73% of his passes over just under 3,100 yards, 19 touchdowns, just four interceptions. And, uh, you know, he also was able to do it on the ground, uh, in his career, over 1,100 yards on the ground, 16 touchdowns. So he has that athleticism as well, and I think he's just—he's a guy that belongs on an NFL roster. Um, you know, I don't know that he'll ever be a, a full-time starter in the league, but I think he could be a guy who could be a solid, um, solid backup. You know, I think that's probably a ceiling, but you're looking at a guy um, who can absolutely come onto this roster, be the third receiver, third quarterback, excuse me. Learn from Dobbs, learn from Minshew, and. uh you know, his athleticism could even get him on the field. There are teams that are looking at the, the success of Taysom Hill and, and what he was able to provide. So you could potentially see some packages run for, for Tyler Huntley and get him out onto the field uh, sooner rather than later. You know, I think that's something that um, may not be uh, out of the question there for Jacksonville. So those are all of Jacksonville's selections. So we're going to go ahead and transition to the Tennessee Titans. Now Tennessee, um, you know, really, you know, they 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 battled in, in the playoffs, and really the the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill, you know, coming to the Titans and and took over the job for uh, Marcus Mariota, and he really led that team, you know, from a wild card to the AFC Championship, and uh, look, he was re-signed and will be under center in 2020. That really allows Tennessee to focus. Um, you know, focus on defense a little bit. Um, you know, I think their their secondary was exposed against Kansas City. Not only that, um, you know, they experienced a slew of injuries. Malcolm Butler ended up on IR due to a broken wrist. Adoree Jackson battled foot and knee injuries. Uh, Logan Ryan, Tremaine Brock, Lashawn Sims, Ty Smith, all unrestricted free agents. Really leaves Butler and, and Jackson, uh, and then Kareem Orr as the only uh, corners on the roster um, heading into uh, the off season. Now, Tennessee, you know, really hasn't done a whole lot there at the cornerback position. What have they, you know, they really haven't signed anyone, um, of, of note. So there's a good chance that you could be seeing them taking a corner with this pick. You know, I think that absolutely is, is potentially in the cards. Um, I think, you know, finding somebody, you know, sitting there at 29, um, you know, the way I have the draft shaking out right now is I have, um, let's see, I have Diggs and Fulton coming off the board. So the next corners you're talking about are Nett, uh, Igbenogany, uh, Gladney, Jeff Gladney, uh, Bryce Hall, A.J. Terrell. um I just don't see any of those guys being first-round picks. I think from a you know a need standpoint versus best player available or potentially addressing other needs. I think corner at this point doesn't make a whole lot of sense here. Now the Jarrell Casey trade, um, you know, also had to be caught you know caused to push that pause button on a, on a corner here as well. Tennessee trading that five-time Pro Bowler to Denver for a seventh-round pick, clearly a cost-cutting move. Uh, Casey lined up at the three technique. Um, that's going to allow Jeffrey Simmons to move from 5-technique to 3-technique. So they're going to be looking at adding, obviously, a uh, a 5-technique. And I'm looking at Ross Blacklock out of TCU. If they want to go that route, You know, this is a guy who has the explosiveness of Ben, just a twitched-up dude, uh, intriguing rush potential. That could be a potential direction that they go. But I still think this pick is going to be used to actually protect Ryan Tannehill. Now, the line gave up 50, 56 sacks a season ago which is third highest total in the league. And then they lose Jack Conklin in free agency going to Cleveland. So that only furthers the need to address that offensive line. Now, yes, Conklin's backup, Dennis Kelly was re-signed. He's going to get the first crack at the starter, uh, at the starting position, but Titans can do better, uh, than, than Dennis Kelly. And I'm looking at Josh Jones, uh, out of Houston, 6'5, 319. um, can play both tackle positions, really excelled there at the left, uh, tackle position for the Cougars. um, Football Focus noted that he was one of the more consistent tackles in all of college football, allowing just 18 pressures on 1,282 pass-blocking snaps. Um, So when you talk about that, this is a guy who just knows how to get it done as a pass-blocker. Mainstay um, on that left tackle spot, 45 career starts under his belt. Um, Often got by with sheer athleticism more than technique, so I think that does need to be cleaned up. Um, by the the NFL position coach, um, but he absolutely has the, the lower body flexibility required to bend at the knees, maintain leverage, very light on his feet for a guy his size, able to fire quickly out of his stance, has a lateral agility to easily move uh, mirror defenders, both on an outside rush and with counter moves back to the inside. Not only do you see him um, see it throughout the season, but the lateral quickness was also on display at the Senior Bowl. Um, continually showed quick feet to, to pick up Kenny Willikus and Alton Robinson back inside on counter moves, has the strength required to absorb the edge rusher's punch um, coming off the edge and maintains active hands. Will lose his anchor at times um, and he'll start bending at the waist, starts lunging and leaning, getting himself off balance. I think his kick slide is effective when he gets a deep set and takes the proper angle to be the defensive end to the edge. Uh, but what'll happen a lot of times is he'll take more of a shallow uh, kick slide and sometimes i'll end up only you know even being horizontal and when you're doing that with an edge rusher that's coming off the edge and really attacking that corner he's gonna beat you off the edge and so that's one of the things he needs to make sure that he's conti- consistently getting that deep set um in in, in his pass sets in order to really wall off that defend that defensive end coming off the edge. Um, you know, I, I think he he will also get a bit overzealous at times with his and will overset, which also leaves him susceptible to being getting beaten inside. Um, and look, you know, Houston was always known for its passing, but it was really the running game where I thought Jones was really able to show off some of his athleticism. Um, often a lead blocker for the running back, getting out in front on the edge to kick out the linebacker, uh, drive him all the way to the sideline, easily climb into the second level, locating the defender under control, sealing off his man. Um, and when he maintains leverage, and this is another guy who you know his pad level wants to rise at times, but if he can maintain leverage, he can generate a lot of movement in the in the ground game, which has to be music to to the ears of Derrick Henry, uh, you know their beast, uh, you know running the ball, um, you know. And look, you know Jones, you know he does need a bit of development to his game, and uh, I think you know having Dennis Kelly on the roster, you know can allow them to. Have him start, at least to start off the year, but you've got Josh Jones on the roster, and a guy who clearly has potential to start early in his career, and uh, I think he clean things up. He'll battle uh, Dennis Kelly for that starting position and could potentially you know take over that starting role here uh, sooner rather than later. So when you look at Tennessee on day two, I think that's when you go corner. I'm looking at AJ Terrell, and uh, to me, that uh, that just makes a whole lot of sense. You know, I think some people have Terrell potentially coming off the board a lot earlier. Some are even saying potentially in uh, in round number one. And I actually had AJ Terrell at one point penciled in my my mock draft, po- possibly even going round number one. And I just I didn't feel right about it. You know, I I think it's one of those things when you talk about AJ Terrell, like the last memory you really had. Um, of him as a Clemson Tiger, um, it really left a lot to be desired uh, against Jamar Chase and LSU. Um, I do think that one game doesn't define a three-year career with more ups than downs. Um, His performances in the two previous games played a pivotal role in the Tiger success look against uh, Virginia in the ACC Championship. Uh, May have only had two tackles in the game, but he excelled playing with inside leverage repeatedly, turning to run with the receiver, pinning his man to the sideline, not allowing any separation, and taking away any option for uh, Bryce uh, Perkins, the quarterback. Then in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, showed an ability to jump routes on the perimeter, to be disruptive at the catch point. Um, he's a physical press corner, likes to get his hands on the receiver early, jamming and, and re-mount, rerouting his man off the ball. Does a good job in trail technique, um, following just off the receiver's hip before driving on the ball with a quick closing burst. Uh, Using that length to get a hand in and make a play on the football can also break quickly on the on the ball and off coverage. But again, that aggressiveness can get him into trouble. Uh, You'll see him gets you know he'll he'll be susceptible to some double moves as well. Uh, He does like to come down and run support though. He doesn't always take the proper angle to the football. Uh, Needs to refine his footwork a little bit. Too many false steps in his play on the outside uh, will make it difficult for him to play uh, play in phase at times. Also has trouble with his balance at the top of the route. Will lose contact with the receiver as he's tracking the ball to the inside. Um, but I think when you're talking about A.J. Terrell and you're looking at what's going to be the right value, I'm looking at him, you know, Tennessee's pick in round number two uh, is at number 61 overall. A.J. Terrell feels like that's, that's about right for him. 6'1", 195, the junior out of Clemson, going to Tennessee there in round number two um, makes a lot of sense to me staying uh, on day two and, and moving on to the third round. Now I mentioned the fact that they need to find a, a three technique to take over for a Jeffrey Simmons. Um, I'm sorry, a, a you know, potentially a five technique or a three technique. Um, and I, I think really what can happen is you can take uh, Jeffrey Simmons and still keep him at the five technique and bring a guy like the, uh, Devon Hamilton out of Ohio State, 6'4, 320 pounds. I think that's going to be a guy that you could definitely slide in there for Tennessee. And if you look at, at them up front, they've got Daquan Jones at the nose tackle. They brought in Jack Crawford to man the, the defensive tackle position. Um, Jordan Williams is also there at defensive tackle. Um, so I, I think if Simmons stays there at, at the at the defensive end position, uh, the five technique, then Crawford and uh, and Devon Hamilton, I think, would be a nice duo there at defensive tackle. Now, Devon Hamilton, not really the more hel- heralded among among the defensive linemen there at Ohio State, but just a guy who consistently got the job done. You know, I, I think he's pretty athletic for a guy his size. Um, you know, a, a guy who was more of a, a role player, didn't always start, um, but still, you know, managed 20 tackles for loss, seven sacks in his career for the Buckeyes, And uh, you know at the combine, uh, Hamilton. Sorry, my computer's a step slow here. So ran a 51440 uh, bench pressed. Uh, 225, 33 times as well. So, a guy who has a little bit of a short area burst coming off the ball and shows some exceptional power to his game. That upper body strength is something that he uses to his advantage. Has pretty good hands, shoots gaps a little bit, can really, you know, muscle his way into the backfield. Um, So, I I feel like Devon Hamilton in round number three, um, that's good value there for Tennessee. Moving on to round number five. That's really where Tennessee has their their next pick. Um, In round number four, they traded away their pick. Um, So they won't be selecting in round number four. They traded away to Pittsburgh, number 135 overall. Went to Pittsburgh, so they're going to be drafting in the fifth round. In 175 overall, I think you need to find another edge rusher. I think when you look at Tennessee and you have Harold Landry, uh, you brought in Vic Beasley to to team up with him, and uh, Vic Beasley, obviously, you know you're not really sure what you're going to get. Is he going to uh, replicate his his sophomore uh, campaign there, where he went double-digit sacks for the Falcons? Really hasn't lived up to that since, and that's really the biggest concern that I have at the position. Is is you know is he going to Really, um, return to that type of form, or are you going to have a guy who's going to underachieve and, and not really live up to the billing? That's the biggest concern, and it's going to be interesting to see if Mike Vrabel can really bring that out of him. Landry signed through uh 2021, so you do have them have him there at uh the outside linebacker position. But look, I- I'm looking at uh trying to find other pass rushers, and I'm looking at at Travis Gibson out of Tulsa. And Gibson, you know, I think this is a guy who's still pretty raw. Um, I I think he showed at the senior bowl, uh, his pad level getting too high. Inconsistency with his hands at times as well. um, Really showed that he doesn't belong um, with his hand in the dirt. I think he needs to play in space, uh, allow him coming off the edge. But the pass rush ability is absolutely there. Um, 25 and a half tackles for loss, including 15 this past season. Had eight sacks in 2019 as well. So a a guy who really knows how to get after the quarterback and make plays behind the line of scrimmage also has eight forced fumbles had five in 2018. So a guy who also knows, um, you know what to do when he arrives at the football. So I'm looking at Gibson, you know, 6'3, 261, uh, definitely an athletic um, lineman coming off the edge. Uh, you know, bench press 25, 25 times. So he's got some decent strength to him as well. Um 6'3, 261, good size. Um, I, I think this makes a lot of sense, especially sitting there in round number five. Get a pass rusher. You know, he is raw but he he does have some skills to work with there. And I think Mike Rabel would be happy to bring a guy like that in, uh, especially there in round number five. So no picks in round six, but they do have three in round number seven. And I think this is really where they go offense, offense, offense. Uh, So the first offensive position, I have them go on receiver, and I'm having them look at Kalijah Lipscomb out of uh, Vanderbilt. Staying. In-state, going with uh, with uh, the Vanderbilt receiver and, and Kalijah, um, six foot two oh seven, ran a four five seven forty at the combine. Um, not going to be the explosive burner uh, by any means, but uh, you know Lipscomb, you know a season ago was a guy that was really talked about as one of the SEC's top receivers. Had eighty-seven catches, over nine hundred yards, and nine touchdowns. Uh, this past season, though, uh, you know Vanderbilt's offense just really struggled. And uh, just have forty-seven catches for just you know five hundred and eleven yards and three touchdowns. Not much of a factor. Um, so really, you had to watch more of the twenty eighteen tape to really get a feel for what uh, Lipscomb can do. Um, you know, the biggest thing that you look at there is just eleven point nine yards per reception in his career. So definitely not a guy who's going to stretch defenses, but I think he's definitely a, a savvy player, knows how to get open, savvy route runner. When I mean, you already have a team with, with Corey Davis. Uh, And A.J. Brown on the outside, you've got Adam Humphreys there in the slot. I think looking for a possession receiver makes a lot of sense, and I I think this would be a a nice receiver who could work into and potentially make the roster and uh, be a guy that they can use there in the passing game. Now looking at at running back, Derek Henry, he's back. Um, but they don't have really a, a proven backup. You know, David Flewellen, uh, Dalen Dawkins looking to take the place of Deion Lewis, who left in free agency, left to the, the Giants. So they could easily go with a running back earlier in the draft, but I waited until round number seven, and I, I think they can get one of the the sleepers of the draft, Jamichael Hasty uh, out of Baylor. This is a guy who I'm I'm a fan of, and I know that uh, um, you know the Senior Bowl absolutely is a, is a fan of his as well. Uh, Jim Nagy talks about Hasty and, and his uh, his ability to, to make plays. You know he has got some explosiveness to him. Ran a four five five forty at the combine, thirty nine inch vertical leap, um, very explosive, moves very well laterally, and uh, that was really on display in the in the short shuttle. Ran a 4:03 short shuttle, which was the fastest among the running backs who actually did the did the drill. Not everyone did the drill, but 4:03 uh, is exceptionally fast. So he's quicker than fast. You know, 5'8", 205. I think he can be a a complement um, to uh, Derrick Henry's power game. And you know, when you look at Hasty at, at Baylor the type of production for him. Um, not a guy who has a ton of wear, shared the backfield quite a bit there uh, with the Bears, just 386 carries, uh, but a guy who knows how to catch the football out of the backfield, 79 receptions in his career. Uh, so a guy, I think you're gonna see him come in on some of the passing downs, you know much like Dion Lewis did. I think that'd be a guy who you know can can move in and potentially earn that uh, backup job there. And then I decided to, to look at that quarterback position for their final pick in uh, in the seventh round. And uh, you've got Tannehill, and you've got Logan Woodside on the roster. You need another quarterback. And I, I played around with a few different quarterbacks here. I, I looked at Jake Luton. Uh, just didn't really fit what, what the Titans want to do. Um, I looked at Steven Montez, athletic quarterback, but I think there's some inconsistency to his game as well. Um, So I'm looking at Cole McDonald uh, out of Hawaii. Cole McDonald, you know, 6'3", 215 pounds. uh, The junior, um, you know, if you listen to my podcast during the season, I talked about this guy. um, You know, he started off the year very – disappointing, you know, the first, all, most of his interceptions were thrown in the first couple of games, have four in the opener against Arizona, um, was actually benched in favor of, uh, Shevin Cordero, the, the freshman. And, uh, he bounced back and this was a guy who led Hawaii to, to the bowl game. Um, six, just under 64% completion percentage. You know, he had been a, a career, uh what 50, it looks like 50, about fifty eight percent completion percentage prior to twenty nineteen uh, over 4,000 yards, four thousand yards forty one hundred and thirty five to be exact thirty three touchdowns and fourteen interceptions. but again, a guy who I thought as the season progressed, um, really put his his skills on display. and um you know I'm looking at him. he has this really long windup and that's the thing that I think for him, um, if he's going to get drafted, he's going to have to show teams that look. I can throw the ball down the field um, with accuracy. Um, you know, I, I can make these throws. I, I, you know, I can throw the. I have a big arm. I can throw the ball down the football field as well. Um, but the biggest thing for Cole McDonald is that 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 throwing motion. Can he shorten it up? Because if you have that long looping motion, you know, then you know you don't have that quick release and if you can't get the, get rid of the football in this in this day and age um you know, you're you're really going to be in trouble so i look at him and you know had seven games with three plus touchdowns uh, had three 400-yard games had six touchdowns against navy um you know he, he's a guy to me that uh and that was in 2018 you know I, i'm just I, I look at Cole McDonald a guy that down the stretch for Hawaii was really a guy that performed and performed well. And I'm stalling a little bit because I'm trying to bring up uh what he did down the stretch. And so in his final final few games uh, against San Diego State, Army, Boise State, and and BYU, you know, this is a guy who, you know, of the the, the 14 interceptions threw just two but in those games, he had eight eight touchdowns, eight touchdowns, just two interceptions, um, and they won three out of those four games. The only loss coming to Boise State, um, and that was in the um, in the Mountain West Championship game, and so that was a loss there. But outside of that, look, and, and that was the only game where he was under sixty percent completion percentage, and you know, just the kid who continues to develop, and the last time we saw him in a, in a Hawaii Warrior rain, uh, uniform threw for uh, 493 yards and four touchdowns to beat BYU in the Hawaii Bowl, um, a kid who I, I think is going to get drafted because of his ability to rebound. You know, I thought that was one of the things that you really saw out of him. You know, really continued to to work on his his craft. And I think that's one of the things that I think he's gonna get that that throwing motion shortened up a little bit. And if he can do that, I think he, he can absolutely make the roster and not only do that, but challenge Logan Woodside for that backup job. So that takes care of Tennessee. We're gonna go ahead and move on to the Indianapolis Colts. And as I mentioned, Indianapolis does not have a first-round pick because they traded that away to San Francisco. Um, you know, got their guy though, DeForest Buckner, in there at uh, the three technique, the defensive tackle position, and uh, you know that makes a ton of sense uh, for them. So, what are they going to do in round number two? I think they need to find receiver. And I think they're, they're probably going to, like I said, potentially trade back into into to round number one. They're going to need to if they want to get that quarterback that they uh, desperately need, in my opinion. But I think that first pick is going to be a receiver. And here's why. You've got T.Y. Hilton, um, and then you have uh, everybody else, essentially. You've got Zach Paschal, who I thought stepped up really well, the guy, uh, kid out of Old Dominion. Uh, Paris Campbell battled injuries. um, and then after that, there you know there just really isn't a whole lot of of production there at the receiver position, and so when I look at at the receiving, you know you've got depth at the position. They could potentially um, look at getting a receiver later on in the draft, but I think you want to try to get one of the the top ten. Wideouts. If you're sitting there with two picks in round number two and at 34 overall, I have them taking Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, 6'4, 223 pounds. I think the biggest concern was can he separate from from uh, defenders down the football field. And and Pittman ran a 4.5 240 at the combine, and you know uh, he, he is plenty fast getting down the football field. He was the leading receiver. In the Pac-12 conference this past season, 101 receptions, over 1,200 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Just put on the Utah game, you know. Just put on the Utah game, and you'll see what what I'm talking about in terms of the explosiveness. A guy who does a tremendous job getting vertical, and uh, it, even if he doesn't have much separation, he'll create that late separation. He'll be he has a knack for being able to kind of extend his arm just a little bit to create that that doesn't push off create just a little bit of separation there at the end, and with this leaping, he also jumps and, and high points the football, but he's also extending away from the defender to really allow himself to attack that football in the air. Full extension, um, a guy who has a, a tremendous catch radius, but then he's so difficult to bring down. That was one of the things Utah had a hard time tackling this kid, and that's really what he continued to do throughout the year. And, and teams like Washington um, really geared their defense Around stopping Michael Pittman. And USC has tremendous receivers all the way across the board. They had Tyler Vaughn's, they have Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, you know, Drake London's really came on as well. But teams were so focused on Michael Pittman Jr., those are the type of receivers that you want to look for. Are there um, defenses that are scheming to take away the number one wideout on this on this team? And there weren't too many guys in college football that could say that. Michael Pittman Jr. was absolutely that guy. I think there is a chance that Pittman Jr. could go into round number one, and I'm looking at San Francisco at 13. I think if the Jets go in, uh, at 11, go receiver, and they go C.D. Lamb, then I think or Jerry Judy, then I think you know the Raiders at 12 will get a receiver, whoever whoever's still on the board, whether it's Judy or, or Lamb, and then sitting there at 13, I think at that point you probably have the 49ers going. C.J. Henderson, who I currently have going to the Jets. So if C.J. Henderson goes 13 overall to the Niners, they're going to need to get a a, a number one wide receiver at some point. I think Pittman Jr. could be that guy at number 31 overall. If not, then I think Indianapolis sitting there at 34, that'd be a heck of a compliment there for for, uh, T.Y. Hilton on the outside as well. So I mentioned the quarterback position. And and again, Phillip Rivers, uh, they signed him. Uh, after, you know, the illustrious career there in in San, uh, San, San Diego and Los Angeles, um, but it was time to move on. And, and Rivers is just, he signed a one-year deal, one-year $25 million contract, so you know he's going to be on the roster there. But you've got Brissette on the roster, and Brissette just didn't wow anybody. He just didn't. And uh, unfortunately, that's not going to get things done. So you're looking at, at uh, Jordan Love, the quarterback out of out of Utah State, and, and you know I think Jordan Love absolutely projects as a as a potential first round quarterback. And I'm looking at Indianapolis, and they have the two uh, second round picks, and I think they can potentially package some picks together to trade into round number one and target Jordan Love. You know I, I think there's still a chance that that the Chargers. Could potentially go with um, Jordan Love, and then you'd have Justin Herbert sitting there. Either way, I think that you're going to see um, see the Colts make a move. You know, I, I think Brissette had his chance, and I think that this is ultimately the the right move for them. And when you look at Love. Um, you know, I thought he turned heads as a true sophomore in 2018, uh, 64% completion percentage, throwing for over 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, just six interceptions, led Utah to an 11-2 record in a bowl victory in the New Mexico Bowl, um, finished the season ranked number 22 in the FBS, Aggies high-powered attack. Uh, scored at least 40 points in nine other 13 contests, featuring seven players with at least 20 receptions, along with uh the thousand-yard rusher in in Darwin Thompson, now with the, the Chiefs, ascending prospect at the end of the season, showing off his arm strength, athleticism outside the pocket, also tremendous touch and accuracy. Uh, but 2019 was really difficult for Love. You know, The team had to replace nine offensive starters, including four all-Mountain West Conference offensive linemen, along with his head coach, Matt Wells, moving on to, uh, to Texas Tech, took his offensive coordinator with him. In comes Gary Anderson, uh, lost five uh, leading receivers, uh, including Thompson as well. They accounted for 170 receptions for over 2,300 yards and 28 touchdowns. In fact, his only returning receiver with 10-plus receptions was little 5'8 Jordan Nathan. So that led to just a 61% uh, completion percentage, 3,400 yards, 20 touchdowns with 17 interceptions. And he was also cited for marijuana just prior to the, uh, the Frisco Bowl, Um, so there are a lot of issues that were going on, um, with love. And I think he's hoping that teams will look past the miscues because when you look at him, he's a natural passer possesses that quick release ball comes out in a hurry with tremendous velocity, confident passer, not afraid to use a variety of arm slots to, to fit the ball into, into tight windows. Um, attacks the middle of the field with precision, showing an ability to put the ball out in front of the receiver, um, to hit him in stride, has a touch to place the ball over defenders up the seam, uh, has excellent ball placement on back shoulder throws as well, putting the passes outside and away from the corner, making it nearly impossible to defend. Um, can also put enough air under his deep ball so that his receivers can run into the pass uh, and they don't have to break stride. Um, you know, I think the biggest issue in, in 2019 was his ability, you know, he lacked anticipation, staring down his targets. And I, I think really he felt the pressure. You know, this was a guy who, you know, went from, from being a star for the Aggies to, I, you know, he's got a brand new, uh, receiving core. He has a you know new coaching staff to deal with as well. Um, you know, he made it easy for defenders to really get a jump on the football um, you know his consistency you know in in 20, uh, 2018 eight multi-touchdown games just one game with with more than one interception completed 60 percent of his passes and in, in 10 of his 13 games but in 2019 love had six games with at least two touchdowns but five games with multiple interceptions, completed 60 percent of his passes in just seven of the 13 games have four games with the completion percentage below 52 percent. But I think most of that drop in production uh, was due to him just pressing, trying to do too much, trying to make plays when they aren't there. And uh, I compare him, you know to uh, Josh Allen and what he really had to go through there at Wyoming, losing a lot of his receivers and, uh, you know, really struggled with some of his production there uh, as a a junior there with the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, I look at Jordan Love. I think he's a guy that, look, Philip Rivers will be there for one, maybe two years. And uh, then Jordan Love can ultimately take over the reins there as the, as the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts Uh, sitting there in, in round number three now, the Colts, you know, this just feels like a a, a Chris Ballard pick. Um, you have Malik Hooker at the free safety position. You need a strong safety, and I'm looking at Kyle Duggar um, out of Lenore Rhine. And this just feels like, you know, like a guy that would come in and start right away. You know, when you think about, um, you know, he he was a guy that found Darius Leonard in round number two out of uh, you know South Carolina State, um, and a guy who was able to come on and you know, has been a star in the league. And I think that Duggar has similar uh, capability. Um, you know, a guy, he's 6'2", 220 pounds, um, had two two uh, 237 tackles in his career, but really it's the ball skills. 10 interceptions, 36 pass breakups, had six forced fumbles and six fumble recoveries in his career as well. Um, was also a punt returner. Um, had six punt returns for touchdown in his career. Now, look, Lenore Ryan is not an FBS program, and it's certainly not the NFL, so there is a big jump in, uh, in competition, and that's one of the things, you know, when you look at Nasir Adderley, uh, moving on from from Delaware, that's you know that's where you have some cause for concern and can he play at that level? But look, you know he's an he's a tremendous athlete. I think third round feels right for him, and I think that'd be a heck of a selection there uh, for the Colts. Moving on to the running back position in round number four, um, you know I'm looking at Marlon Mack. Uh, you have Naeem Hines in the backfield, Then there's Jordan Wilkins, but I, I think getting a, a guy who's explosive. How about Darrington Evans um, out of Um, sorry, out of Appalachian State. Um, This is a guy who, just explosive. You know, I think that's one of the things that jumps off to you. You know, he he had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, but really – had a breakout 2019 campaign um, over 1400 yards on the ground, 18 touchdowns also had 21 receptions on the year as well with another five touchdowns. Um, and, and when you look at Evans, you know, at the combine really made a name for himself uh, there as well, ran a 4:41.40, put up, 225, 20 times had a 37 inch vertical leap. Did a little bit of everything. You know, he showcased the fact that he can be a burner, can be a home run threat. Has that speed. Um, Also in the kick return game, had three kickoff returns for touchdown in his career. Um, And you know, he's only a junior, so he came out a year early. And I remember at the beginning of this process when he just he declared, I was worried about him potentially getting lost in the shuffle because I think that he is a a guy who can be a, a factor at the next level and his performance at the combine really put his name out there. And I think that's, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be forgotten. Certainly after running that four, four one, which is among the fastest among all the guys there at the combine at the running back position. So I I think Evans is is a nice pick there. That can really be that backup for uh, Marlon Mack. And, uh, you know looking at at round number 5 i think you need to find another tight end eric ebron is gone so you have just jack doyle at the tight end position and uh, really haven't done a whole lot there to uh replace ebron which to me is a sign you know signifies the fact that they're going to be looking at at potentially getting a tight end in the draft and i'm looking at jared pinkney you know this is a guy who look as a a a junior pinkney was a guy that uh, everyone was talking about as the top tight end prospect coming into 2019, uh, 50 catches, 774 yards, and seven touchdowns. In 2019, again, you know uh, the Commodore offense really struggled. Played in just eight games, uh, 20 catches, 233 yards, just two touchdowns. Um, you know this is a guy who you know has played in. Played an entire season just once, and that was in that 20 2018 campaign. Then he shows up at the Combine and you know, just frankly, you know, had a disappointing performance. 49640. Um, did put up 25, 23 times, but just didn't look like the athlete that everyone was expecting him to be. 6'4, 257. I think he he blocks really well. And uh he did show, like I said, in 2018 that he has pretty good hands. And so I'm looking at the fifth round um, and I think that feels about right for Pinckney right now. He's not the top tight end prospect, not by a long shot, but I think, you know, the jet, I'm sorry, the, the Colts at this point, looking at uh, addressing some of those other areas and finding some of those other needs. If Pinckney can live up to uh, that, you know, what he did in 2018 and he can really return to that form. I think, you know, he can end up being a steal there in, uh, in day three. So looking at, at round number six, I, I think they end up addressing the defensive line, and, and with Indianapolis, um, you know they have uh, Kimoko Touré and, and Justin Houston there at the defensive end positions right now. Uh, ben Banagoo and uh, Alkaden uh, Muhammad also there up front. Um, I, I think they need to go with one more pass rusher, get really round out that uh, that group, and, and I'm looking at Bryce Huff. You know, Bryce Huff out of, out of Memphis uh, 6'3", 255 um, 18 sacks in his career for the Tigers also 39.5 tackles for loss uh, 4 forced fumbles 3 pass breakups uh, in his career as well, a guy coming off the edge, um, didn't we didn't get to see him at the combine. Was not invited, but uh, a guy who I think has some scheme versatility as well. He can play defensive end and probably drop in, in as a linebacker as well. Um, but a guy who's just sneaky good, getting after the quarterback, coming off the edge, and I I, I kind of like the pick. I I think this is a guy who, um, if he can showcase um, some of that pass rush ability, I think he's someone who's just you know they're gonna have to keep him on the field. Um, so at 194 they go Huff, and then Indy has another pick. Um in round number six, and that's at 198, getting that pick from Dallas. And I think they go Raquan Williams out of Michigan State. 6'4, 308. Um, you know, really a high cut guy. I think that's one of the things that you definitely see. And, and because of that, he struggles with his center of gravity and struggles with his pad level. And that's really what what stifles any any type of a movement in his game. But uh when he fires low off the ball, um, he can be exceptionally um disruptive he could potentially come off the board much sooner than the 6th round but i think some of that consistency to him i thought that he he didn't he just looked like an average athlete at the combine as well that was one of the things that kind of worried me when i watched him he is really high cut and then so watching him in some of the drills just didn't really look natural with any of his bend um ran a 50440 which isn't bad for a guy his size um you know, just 25 and a half inch vertical leap and uh, just a uh, 101, uh, 101 inches in the broad jump, um, 7.72 three cone drill. Uh, so just a lot of numbers that weren't all that impressive. You know, at the defensive tackle position, and look, you know, you're not talking about a guy who's going to be running the running the ball for 40 yards or running, you know, down the field 40 yards, but you're still looking for some of that lower body explosiveness, and he didn't really offer a whole lot of that. Um, so I really want to see him, you know, with his production, you know, 29 tackles for loss, uh, 11 and a half sacks, eight pass breakups in his career. Uh, Also three forced fumbles Uh, a guy. Look, you know, in, in 2018 had 50 tackles at the defensive tackle position, 48 in 2019. So very active as well. Um, you know it's just you can there are concerns about his athleticism and that's really the biggest thing for me that could dissuade teams from taking him earlier than the 6th round i think it, it feels right um you know because when you look at at Indy, they have buckner then there's grover stewart at nose tackle you've got uh, Danico autry sheldon day you know a lot of guys on that roster who do, who don't weigh 300 plus pounds so you get a guy like raquan williams at 308 add some more size to that that line you know Indy can get pushed around on the inside, um, you know, because they, they were more of a speed team. You get some more power there on the middle, and if Raquan Williams can really fire off the ball and, and uh, keep his pad level low, he can anchor at the point of attack and uh, absorb some some of those blockers. So finally, we're going to move on to Houston, and again, you know, they they um, they don't have a first round pick, um, they traded that away, and uh, so you're looking at Houston round number two which receiver is going to be available? that's really going to be the biggest question because I think they have to go with the receiver uh, with their first pick. And I'm looking at Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State six foot 205. Ayuk ran a 4 4540 at the combine. One of the things that you see from him is he's got some of the longer arms at the receiver position over 33 and a half inches. Um, 40 inch vertical leap as well. so when you're talking about the um, the catch radius, he absolutely has that and uh, look Ayuk, at Arizona State this past season, he um, did only spend two years there with the Sun Devils. 65 catches, um, 1,192 yards, which is 18.3 yards per reception, and eight touchdowns on the year. And so when you you take that guy, he, ha- he has that ability to stretch defenses a little bit. And you're looking at uh, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb. Uh, as your top three receivers there in Houston, and uh, you know some guys that can be vertical threats, but I, I don't think any of them have the um, the playmaking ability that uh, Brandon Ayuk has. You know, a guy that can be explosive on the outside, can move inside, um, and, and he's not going to be DeAndre Hopkins, but I think he can absolutely be that that number one receiver that they're desperately looking for at this point. Um, so Houston after Ayuk. You're looking at uh, defensive end position potentially, and uh, when I look at Houston at the defensive end position right now, they've got J.J. Watt obviously, but not a whole lot beyond him. You know, there's Angelo Blackson, Charles who, um is a, a a prospect that I like, but I think you need to find another defensive end, and I'm looking at Marlon Davidson. You know, out of uh, out of Auburn, I think this is a nice pick sitting there in round number two towards the end, and uh, Davidson, you know, very active. Tremendous athlete ran a 504 40 at 6'3 303. Um, you know he he actually bulked up for the for the combine and showed that he can be a, an athlete just, you know, despite adding that additional size. Um, so I thought that was absolutely impressive. Um, a guy who you know was able to bend. You know, surprisingly coming off the edge despite his size 11 and a half tackles for loss uh, six and a half sacks in 2019 had 28 tackles for loss and 14 and a half sacks in his career nine pass breakups uh, three forced fumbles three fumble recoveries uh for his totals as well you know a guy who can be extremely powerful coming off the edge but he, he played defensive end there at Auburn and really I think he's going to be a a five technique in the 34 defense and you put him opposite JJ Watt you know, it just makes a lot of sense to me. So moving on, um, looking at another pick in uh on day two, I'm looking at Daryl Taylor, uh, the the linebacker out of Tennessee, 6'4, 267 pounds. Um, and the reason for that is if you look at Houston, uh, they have Whitney Merciless, and then after that, you know, you've got uh, uh Brennan Scarlett, Duke Ejiofor, uh Jacob Martin. Um but I think they need another pass rusher. They need a guy who can really come off the edge, and that's one of the things that Daryl Taylor is absolutely able to do. Um, you know, he struggled against uh, you know Jedrick Wilkes, who really dominated him the entire game. But this is still the guy who can bend coming off the edge, um, uses uses his hands pretty well. Um, you know, twenty six and a half tackles for loss, but nineteen and a half sacks, including um, at least eight sacks in each of the last two seasons. Um, you know, a guy who bends very well. I think he's going to be a guy who's more of a situational pass rusher. That's really his, his staple was getting to the quarterback, you know, being able to really just let things go uh, extremely quick coming off the football and uh, can turn that corner, get to the edge in a hurry. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense for Houston sitting there in round number three. Um, and round number four, I'm looking at uh, – at that center position. You know, I think that's one of the areas that they could potentially upgrade. There's Nick Martin sitting there right now. Um, And I think Houston um, with Martin, um, you know, he's signed through, through 2023 I'm sorry, 2022. Assigned a three-year, uh, 33 million dollar contract, but I still think that's an area that they can potentially uh, upgrade. Um, I, I think Max Sharping you know, was one of my favorite tackles in, in last year's draft. I'm happy that he's starting at the left guard position, but they also need an upgrade there at the right guard position. Zach Fulton has struggled, um, and I think that's an area that they really need to improve upon. And so I'm looking at Nick Harris. Out of Washington, you know, uh, Harris isn't the the biggest guy. He's just six one, um, and, and three hundred pounds, um, but ran a five at the combine, and a guy who was a leader there for for the Huskies up front. You know, from his time from from the time that he was a freshman, Nick Harris was the guy that came onto that. You know, and it was really more Nick Harris more so than than. Than Trey Adams or uh, Caleb McGarry. It was Nick Harris that everyone talked about. And this guy, you know, it was kind of that junkyard dog there in the middle, really, you know, a, a guy, a presence there at the pivot, but he also has experience at guard. So I think you can actually put him in at the guard position there, uh, take over for Zach Fulton potentially. And Nick Martin, you know, I still have some concerns there, and, and you could potentially move him over there to that center position. So in round number five, you know, I, I did mention that uh, they did make that trade for David Johnson. You know, you've got Duke Duke Johnson there as well as kind of that pass catcher. But, uh, you know, uh, Karan Higdon uh, as another back there. I, I'm just, I'm looking there. I think they need another running back, you know, to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm looking at LaMichael Pirine out, uh, out of Florida. And Pirine, for me, you know, he ran a 4.6-2.40. Not all that impressive, but he did have a 35-inch vertical leap. So, you know, he's quicker than he is fast. Did bench press 225, uh, 22 times as well. So he has some strength, some upper body strength to him as well. But you know what really jumps off the film when you watch Michael Pirine, he has good vision um, and, and his cutback ability as a runner. Um, so that really, when you look at the combine, and I talked about the combine really being an area where you can uh, validate what you saw on game film. And that really you know rings true with Pirine. But uh, the hands... You know, 72 receptions including 40 this past season, uh five touchdowns in the passing game. Um you know he, he has, you know, limited wear on his legs cuz he shared the backfield with with a number of running backs just 493 carries, uh just over 2400 yards and 22 touchdowns in his career on the ground. Um I think that this is a guy that can be a weapon in the passing game for them as well as on the ground. You already have Duke Johnson there and I think you add uh, LeMichael P Ryan to that group, and you know that that really gives Deshaun Watson another weapon um, out of the backfield. And, and David Johnson and Duke Johnson only signed through twenty twenty one, so I think adding LeMichael Pirine is some you know a bit of insurance there, and being able to land a running running back like P Ryan um, in the fifth round would be a nice a, a nice selection. And then, you know, they don't have a pick in round number six. So moving on to round seven, they have three picks in round seven. And I think they go defense, defense, defense. Absolutely. Um, I think they need another pass rusher. Um, you know, As we mentioned previously, I think they double up there. Um, and I'm looking at Tepa Naliyai. You know, Tepa Naliyai out of uh, uh, Utah State. You know, a guy who can be a defensive end if he needs to put his hand on the ground. But I think he really is going to excel coming off the edge um, in space and, uh, you know, had really a breakout 2018 campaign, you know, much like Jordan love did there for the Aggies, uh, 64 tackles, 13 and a half going for loss, 10 sacks, a couple of interceptions as well. Three pass breakups, three forced fumbles. And, and, you know, the future really looked bright for him, but you saw a drop off in, uh, in, in production, just nine tackles for loss and five sacks, you know, a big part of that. Again, you know, the, the coaching staff, you know, uh, that, that change really kind of threw things off for um, a number of guys on the roster but I think this is a guy that can still come off the edge he has pretty good length 65 um, 235 a little light could probably you know he has the frame to put some more uh, some more weight and not really um, compromise some of that speed um, and that gives them another pass rusher off the edge um, I think at the nose tackle position, they have to find uh, some depth at the position. They have Eddie Vanderdoes right now kind of penciled in as as pot- potentially the starter. Um, Brandon Dunn as another possibility. Um, I, I think they need to find another uh, nose tackle, and I'm looking at John Penasini there out of Utah. Now, Penasini, he's 6'1", 318 pounds. He played alongside uh, Leckie Fotu. Um, who really played the nose tackle position? But I think that Pennacini could absolutely be that nose tackle as well. Uh, very, you know, I, he was quick off the ball, quicker than I, I was really expecting him to be. Um, and, uh, you know, what's funny is is he was actually, I think his measurements for Utah, 6'2, 313, I'm sorry, 333 pounds. So he slimmed down quite a bit for the combine. Um, if the, those measurables were, were accurate, you know, slimmed down for the combine, you know, a guy who, you know, f- uh, 15 tackles for loss and, and five sacks in just three seasons with the Utes, um, you know, and, and he wasn't really asked to uh, be that guy that was going to wreak havoc because he had Bradley and I, he had Lucky Foto, he had Francis Bernard behind him. You know, this is a guy who's going to take up a lot of blockers. You know, very physical at the point of attack, um, and, and a guy who has some short area quickness and can get into the backfield and pressure quarterbacks. And, and I think that's one of the things when you watch Utah play, you saw Lucky Photo, you saw Pennacini getting into the backfield and affecting the quarterbacks. Um, not always on the stat sheet, but if, you know, if you watch those games, you saw them making some of those uh, some of those plays. And, and so I think that's going to bode well for his draft stock. And then looking at the corner position in round number seven. Um, Houston, they have Bradley Roby. They have Lonnie Johnson. They have Vernon Hargraves. They have Gary on Conley. So I, I think you're really set with four corners there. There's going to be a battle for that fifth cornerback. They have Phillip Gaines on the roster as well. Um, I, I'm looking at Josiah Scott out of uh, out of Michigan State. And, and Josiah Scott, he's, he's a... Um, I actually had him coming off the board in the fifth round at one point, going to Denver, and moved him around. uh, 22 pass breakups in his career, six interceptions. I think he's probably going to come off the board before the seventh round. Um, And so when it's all said and done, I'll probably move Josiah Scott around um, and probably not keep him in round number seven, especially with Houston drafting uh, at the end of round number seven was really where I have him penciled in. And that was at uh, number two fifty-one overall, one of the compensatory selections. He is just 5'9", 185, so a guy who's really going to be playing in the slot at the next level. But you know, I thought he was one of the better draft uh, eligible prospects for the Spartans, um, so he can very easily come off the board much sooner. When you're looking at the at the draft class for the corners, you know that's the part that's going to be interesting is exact, exactly where he falls. Um, I think you know you look at that that group in the fifth round. Fifth, sixth range. That's probably going to be where Josiah Scott's going to fall when it's all said and done. Um, so I don't think this is going to be a pick that I'm going to uh, hold on to for for all that long. But um, you know, that's where I have him penciled in, in the East right now. So that does it for the AFC South. So next week, and really, when I say next week, it's going to be later on this week. Um, I'm used to saying next week, but uh, we actually have um, a podcast every couple of days leading up to the draft. We're, We're less than three weeks away from the draft. So we want to be putting out as many podcasts as possible to really get you ready for the NFL draft. And so we've got the NFC West next week. Um, and there I did it again. Um, but next podcast in a couple of days, we're going to go ahead and look at the NFC West. And uh, when you're talking about the NFC West, you've got Arizona, uh, the Cardinals, are they going to go receiver? Not anymore when you got uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So I think they have to protect Kyler Murray. They're going to go offensive to tackle um, whoever it's going to be on the board. Is it going to be Jedrick Wills? Is it going to be Mekhi Becton? Is it going to be uh, Tristan Wirfs? That's really going to be the discussion there for, for the Cardinals. Um, you also have Seattle. Um, what's the situation with Jadavion Clowney? If you don't get Clowney, I think this pick has to be a defensive end. It's going to be probably uh, Yitro Gross Matos out of Penn State. Um, but if they do ultimately re-sign uh, Clowney, and look, it's looking more and more like the market is coming down for him, and he's lowering his price tag, that he's probably going to re-sign with Seattle. That's going to allow them to potentially look at that offensive tackle position um, and really focus on what they're going to do there um, at tackle. You know, Dwayne Brown isn't getting any, getting any younger. Um, they lost George Fant. They did bring in Brandon Shell, but is he really the answer at right tackle? I think Seattle could potentially go offensive tackle in round number one, San Francisco trading up to the number 13 overall pick. Um, you know, I think they go receiver unless lamb and Judy are off the board, then they go corner and then sitting there in uh, at 31 overall, if they go corner, they'll go receiver, possibly Michael Pittman. But I think if they get their receiver in um, at number 13, they could potentially address the interior of that offensive line. Who is the guy that I'm targeting for them um, at the number one thir- uh, 31 overall? If they do get the receiver uh, at number thirteen, we'll talk about that here uh, in a couple of days. And then the Rams, without a first-round pick, um, really uh, limited in terms of uh, you know free agent, you know the capability. Um, they Released Todd Gurley. I think they have to address the running back position. They have to to get better up front offensively as well. Um, you know Andrew Whitworth is coming back, but um, and there's a big but there. He he is uh, getting really long in the tooth, so he's one of those guys probably only going to be around for another year. Um, you know losing some of the guys up front um, after their Super Bowl uh, performance. You know that's really hurt them. So I think they have to address the offensive line. Um, you know, they they need to address the, the cornerback position. They have to address potentially the safety position, uh, inside backer. Um uh, and, and look, Greg Zerline's gone. So I, I think you potentially have to also get a kicker. Uh so Rodrigo Blankenship out of Georgia. You know, we may actually be talking about a kicker uh in this draft. Um and, and you know, that's really, you know, the Rams, it's gonna be interesting. They're gonna be opening up SoFi Stadium. They wanna be able to uh, put a good product out there, but you know I think it could be uh, could be one of those years where they they struggle, um, you know, and we won't be seeing that at Super Bowl you know offense coming from from Sean McVay, but uh, you know it remains to be seen what what Sean McVay is going to do. He's one of the better head coaches in the league, so um, be interesting to see what happens. So that's it for episode thirty. Hard to believe we we've already been through thirty episodes. Episode 31, I'm going to get it released, hopefully here in the next day or two, and uh, talk about the NFC West. We'll do the AFC West after that. Then we're going to go ahead and take a look at the positions. We'll do positional breakdown and, and try to get through as many positions as possible um, in each podcast. Really take a look at the positions and where I see... Um, you know, the number of players going at each position, kind of take a look at the history of the position a little bit and, you know, where I see some of these guys falling and uh, break it down from there. So hope everybody has a great week. Stay tuned for more podcasts for Ready for the Draft and uh, we'll go ahead and call it a night. Um, So this is Greg Schutz for readyforthedraft.com. This has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. Take care, everyone, and I... M, out of here.